Welcome to the New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, the New Mind Creator. Today, we will be interviewing Myra Mossman. Please make sure you subscribe to my podcast so that you'll receive alerts on Sundays when new episodes are available. My very first uh, organized sport that I played as a kid was baseball. I believe I was eight years old when I began playing baseball. And I got really good at baseball because I didn't have a lot of kids starting off to play with who had my same passion with baseball. So what I would do is to practice. I didn't realize what I was doing, but I would take an old mop and break off the mop portion of it, the, you know, the portion you would mop the floor with. And it was a real small slender stick. And I would take a bottle cap and just toss it up into the air and try to hit it with that really small stick. And after a while, I got really good, and my hand-eye coordination was so good that I began hitting it with regularity. And I didn't realize that that was, would help me with playing baseball. And I was so good at baseball as a kid, nobody could strike me out. Hmm. So, yeah, and just doing this natural thing because, you know, we were poor and I didn't have a batting cage or anything, but just that thing made me really good at baseball. So what's your experience with uh, playing sports? Well, first of all, Maurice, I would have wished I would have used your tactic because I couldn't hit the ball. So that was a good <laughs> idea. I wish I would have. But with sports, when I was, I'm a twin, I have a twin sister. And when we were in public school, we did intramural sports. And so I was on the baseball, basketball team, the floor hockey, the volleyball, and the, I think it was baseball. And I won all the intramural sports, my team. It just so happened I was on them. And I got a special award at the uh, end of the year annual uh, meeting of the class of the of the school and my twin sister says it was her she believes she was the one that got the award not me <laughs> so that is interesting as a twin um when my for my um in beginning sports experience but I love sports I love watching sports and I ended up becoming a martial artist so yeah, yeah. so are you and your sister uh still pretty close very close and I have a younger brother that's three and a half years younger than me, and he's wiser than me, and we're very close to my family. And I think that's important. Yeah. So I know you enjoy watching black and white movies. What I, I've never, I've seen some as a young kid, but I never got into it. What, what does it do for you to watch black and white movies? I don't, I like the, I think, because I like black and white film noir. And so it's mystery, suspense, crime, true crime. And so it, that, those shadow aspects of film noir really, to me, heighten the, the suspense and the, the effects without so much um, special effects. And so it's just very straight. They're very straightforward movies, lots of dialogue, and they're plot driven rather than director-driven, artistic. And lot, I don't even go to modern movies because when they end, I'm waiting for them to start. Uh, they did. So I really love, that's my hobby, watching old black and white film noir movies. 
Yeah. And and my my favorite director was uh, is um, uh, Hitchcock, and he started oh. out making black and whites, and so mm. there you go. Nice. So, did you have a love for writing when you were a child? Well, I had I had a love for books, and I do, I I dreamed of being a writer, and I'd go to the uh, the department store and stand in the stationery section when I was like six or seven years old and look at the journals, the blank journals and the, the blank diaries. And I dream of filling them up. And, and Maurice, I ended up, I ended up my, that, that passion there and the love of books as, as the, as they contain knowledge led me to become a hand bookbinder and paper restorer. And I learned to make books by hand, the old fashioned way, sewing them and, you know, knocking out the spine. And uh, I ended up working at the Public Archives and National Library of Canada, restoring our nas national holdings. And my specialty at that time was flat work, maps, manuscripts, anything done in pen and pencil. And so I loved books. I never thought I would be a writer until I came to write my, I never wrote a, a book, but professionally I was a federal criminal appeals attorney and you're doing a lot of researching and writing briefs wow that's that's amazing that's definitely a specialty i've never uh known anyone to uh do what you just described are you good at working with your hands yes i i i am working good with working hands uh, with my hands um Maybe like you, you know, developing that hand co coordination with the book binding and paper restoration. It was very focused work. You know, we had a very concentrated, and I, I, I was also I'm also a martial artist, and so I'm very physically oriented in that regard. It has to do with my desire to become a proficient in the physical, emotional intellectual and spiritual realms to become proficient in all those capacities. Gotcha. How would you describe your childhood when you were growing up? How would you describe it? I would describe it as loving, but there was traumatic. There was a lot of yelling and my parents, I feel like I raised them. So there was a lot of back in the fifties, there wasn't therapy was just coming out and, so there was a lot of emotion and expression of, of anger in my house. Also a lot of love. And, and they taught me how to get a big picture about love and to hold on to that and to have unconditional love. And so I, I grew up with a kind of a traumatic family, but a loving family and a, a loving extended family with my aunts and uncles and cousins. And I'm still close to my cousins. And so... Um, I would describe it that way and, and also open. I, we, my family was open. We expressed ourselves. We expressed our feelings. We talked about our emotions. My mother was into Jung and Freud and, 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 and clinical therapy and talking about it. And so I was very um, astute about the inner psychology of people and persons. And being a twin, you have an innate ability to use your intuitive so did you grow up in Canada? Yes, I did. I was born in Detroit and I have American citizenship. And when my twin sister and me were three months old, we were brought to Canada. And under the immigration laws at the time, we were declared citizens right at that first point of entry. 
and I never renounced my Canadian, my American citizenship. And when I worked at the Public Archives of Canada, they were giving me security clearances to work on certain documents. And we did a go around so I didn't have to take an oath of allegiance to the Queen. Wow. And when, and, and when my when I became when I, because I came into Canada when I was three months old, my citizenship says no oath taken. So I never took an oath to the Queen. Wow, that's unique. Yeah, that's unique. Wow. So what inspired you to begin writing your memoir? Well, I, I was, um, it wasn't, I wasn't motivated from a sense of vanity. It was because of an, in, uh, my intention was to set, set the record straight about what hap, what really occurred when I was left for dead on the island of Mass. Uh, Martha's Vineyard. And my memoir is about a story that was not told by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in the case they filed against this man or the newspaper articles that were written about the incident at the time. And I'm grateful because the Martha's Gazette, the newspaper on the island, let me uh, write, publish their three articles in full. But I was, I wanted to, um, my desire to write the memoir was to detail the coincidental, the intuitive aspects of what occurred and when I was attacked and left for dead by a perfect stranger on the island. And I kept these intuitive um, aspects away from the police. I wanted them to investigate this man and I thought that they wouldn't believe me. They'd think I was a lunatic psychic or the instigator. And so um, I didn't expect them to believe me what I told them. And so I kept the, the premonitions the, 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 away. And so, and they did, they did the investigation and they did um, find this man. And so the reason I'm writing is because I don't longer want to keep quiet about this. And I want to, um, and I don't want others. I don't want my readers to hide their sensibilities about non-ordinary things. And, I, and so I want this, the mystical aspect of my story to be told. Wow. So were you, how long ago did that happen? In 1978. I'm 65 now, and so I was 23 years old at the time. Wow. That sounds like it was a traumatic experience for you and probably also for your family who, you know, love you, of course. Yeah. It was, well, it's interesting, Maurice, because, um, and this is why it took me over 40 years to write the, the, the memoir I have from within an hour after um, coming back from death, I was given five divine directives. I was on Martha. I was in Martha's Vineyard, and the one the first directive was move to the other side of the continent, move to the Pacific side ocean. Uh, I was called to learn to meditate, to learn a martial arts, to learn about med meaningful coincidences, and to learn a metaphysics. And ultimately, I was called to become a tarot reader from that and then 10 years later I was called to become a lawyer mm -hmm. and it took me 40 years to master these directives because I I'm not the kind of person that you know um self-deception and like you take one class and now you're proficient but it took me 40 years to master these director directives and I still continue to learn and one could never stop learning especially in the areas of my interest and the notion that you must be, um, there's a notion that you must be 40 years old before you can study Kabbalah, and I'm a Kabbalist. And the rabbis say it takes this amount of life experience, experience to begin to understand and apply its teachings. Mm -hmm. 
And as a Kabbalist, I'm called to experience life fully from the perspective of the physical, the emotional, the intellectual and spiritual realms. And so um, at the time of the incident in Martha's Vineyard, I was a handbook binder. And following the divine directives led me to become a martial artist, a tarot reader, an intuitive counselor, a federal criminal appeals attorney, teacher, and to study and practice Kabbalah and, and as an author. And so, um, yeah. Wow. So what is Kabbalah? Well, Kabbalah is um, derived from the first chapter, the first um first three chapters of Genesis. And it's the mystical aspect embedded in the Torah or the Bible. And there's a Christian aspect of Kabbalah and there's a rabbinic aspect of Kabbalah. And it's, um, it, it, what's derived from Genesis is every time, and God said, is explicitly mentioned nine times. The 10th time is the, in, it, the will to create our universe. And so these are, 10 energetic systems that are expressed in the first chapter of Genesis. And they correspond to the Holy Tree of Life that also corresponds to the physical aspects of our being, similar to the chakra system that more people are familiar with. But it's a mystical approach to a spiritual life to have direct relationship with divine. And it covers the physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual realms. And the tarot readings that I do, the tarot practice that I provide, I use the Holy Tree of Life layout. And so it corresponds directly with my spiritual practices. And it's about bringing things into balance, bringing aspects of ourselves. There's 10, these 10 energetic systems. They're, the Hebrew word is a sephiroth. And, and there's pathways, 22 pathways to these 10 systems that cover the Tree of Life. And there's an ocean of knowledge behind all of this, an absolute ocean and depth of writings and uh, spiritual rituals and practices. And my thin slice is to practice it with the, the, the correspondence with the tree of life, the tarot and the Torah. And so that's what I have to say in a nutshell, because it's vast and deep. Got you. So you mentioned that it took you 40 years to write your memoir. Well, why did it take so long to complete it? Well, like I said, I wanted to master those, the directives that I was given just after I came back from death. And it took me 40 years to, to, to become, um, I, I argued in front of the Supreme Court of the United States to become a proficient lawyer. It took me 40 years to, ma to master these directives. And I don't mean just fooling myself about mastering them, but to reach the pinnacle of my professions as a um, tarot reader, as a, as a, um, a lawyer, a, a martial artist. I've, I've trained with the best in the world. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with some of the martial artists, but I've actually trained in Harlem with little John Davies. And, oh. yes. um, so, and I trained in, uh, with um, some of the, you know, the man who, who, uh, who created the Taekwondo that I uh, got a black belt in, uh, General Choi, he signed my uh, first degree uh, certificate. And so mm -hmm. yeah, it took me 40 years to master the directives. And I wanted to be ruthlessly honest with myself about what the information I was presenting was factually accurate and honest and authentic. True. So how did you feel after you 
mastered these things because it took you a while and definitely you had to be dedicated and driven to do so. How did you feel afterwards? Well, I, I was writing um, legal briefs. And so I needed to learn about how to do creative nonfiction writing. And so I became an initiate again. I started taking classes. I became a student again and started listening to the great courses online on non, how to, the, 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 the development of nonfiction, creative, nonfiction writing creatively. And then I took courses, live courses for three years and working on my, my drafts and worked with a memoirist and went to class and he was like taught us how to self-edit and then i worked with a professional editor and we went through my draft three times i worked very very closely and so it took i felt like i was beginning again that's how i always feel like you're beginning again and i had to learn to master writing fiction creative nonfiction rather than legal brief writing they're both nonfiction, but it's a different audience and a different type of intellectualism. And I wanted to make my memoir very accessible for people and not too highfalutin and, and legalese. And so uh, it took me, so I felt like an initiate. I felt like a Zen mind, beginner mind all over again. What do you believe is the most important idea you are sharing in your book that will be most valuable to the readers? Well, this book is for other victims of violent crime and, and for those who feel that they're victims, victimized by their circumstances, those that are insecure and who lack confidence in themselves, I want to encourage them to become survivors and to thrive. And the biggest, biggest thing that they can do is trust your intuition and the insights glean from taking notice of the coincidences that happen in your life. And this will help people to move forward, even if it's just inch by inch, inch by inch. And trusting oneself involves being ruthlessly honest with yourself. And that's what I mean about it took me 40 years to master because I wanted to be ruthlessly honest with myself. And to not be afraid to express your experiences, even if you don't think they'll be believed. I think it's important for people to trust and, and not... Um, get taken up by the fads and fancies of, of the everyday world, but to be authentic. And the imperative is now. Uh, I wrote my memoir in the first person narrative because I wanted people to relate to the I in the story and, and, and to, so that they can come to understand their own strengths and to help them confront evil and to merge out of victim consciousness to transform their lives to help the lives of others because i tell you we're in a very important time not right now we're in a this is evil is upon us in the biblical proportions i don't think trump i think trump is one of the most dangerous people on the planet and so this is a very much a fight against good and evil and i don't if i'm offending some of your re listeners too bad true so the name in the name of your book is entitled my random death that you're referring to Correct. It's my random death. Yes. So how do you believe practicing martial arts has developed your character? I, 
you know, it's to help me develop in, in, in tremendous ways. And, and besides learning how to defend myself, I learned how to respect the other person at a cellular level because you have to stop a kick an inch from their head when you're training. And so I learned to be demure about my skills and talents and not to be a braggart or a show off. And I think it's important to be humble, even in this day and age when you have to be a self promoter. But I believe it's important to be humble. And most people don't know I've trained in the lethal styles because I barely talk about it. And, you know, apart from school demonstrations or going to tournaments, I'd say I'm just going to train or I'm just going to martial arts. But I believe it helped develop my discipline. And there's a passage in the book about discipline and about how I came to realize it develops in your feet first, because all kinds of excuses could be going around in your head about why you don't want to go to the club and you don't want to train and that always end up there. And so my first instructor talked about uh, building an indomitable spirit and having perseverance. And this taught me to be the discipline that's needed to become a lawyer, to become a solo practitioner, and to be uh, to the discipline to be a writer. And, you know, coupled with the ability to concentrate that the book binding and paper restoration taught me, I think the discipline is some of the most important things that the martial arts, plus respecting another person, respecting their space. And also learning to defend yourself. It's important. It's important. Even if, you, even if you don't know if you can win, at least you have an idea of some of the tools that you have. At least you know, have an idea of how you can get, uh, might, wh what you might be able to do to get out of the situation. When the man attacked me and left me for dead, I didn't know what to do. So. Uh, so why do you think discipline begins in your feet? Because you, we are full of excuses in our head, mm -hmm. and you're always telling, "I don't want to go," or "I don't feel good," and those weren't good enough excuses to not go train. You, you, you train even if you don't feel good. You train even if you don't want to. You, you just have to train, and so I have all kinds of excuses in my head, and certainly the will to fulfill my divine directive to learn martial art was a driving force but I always had excuses in my head I didn't want to go and I don't feel good and I got a headache and I'd rather watch tv but my feet got me there feet took me to the club <laughs> in spite of all those things and I'd always care I'd always have my uniform with me because I know if I go home I'd never go back out of the house and so my feet just kept taking me to the club and I knew I had to train and you know, it first started to have to train at least two times a week. And then I had to train at least three times a week. And then as you get higher in the belts, it's four and five and it's three hours a day. And, and so, you know, you full of excuses of why you didn't want to do it. And I didn't have like a coach, you know, driving me. I was my own coach. And that's what martial arts is about. It's developing your own um you're your own instructor and getting a black belt means you can train yourself and you can train others. Oh, yeah, that's pretty unique insight. So have you practiced any meditation? Yes, I've practiced. I did enormous amount of work with learning how to meditate with a, a professor who was also a Buddhist monk. And he became one of my best friends, Dr. Ch uh, Professor Charles Laughlin. He's an anthropologist. And I was I was called to learn to meditate. That was one of my divine directives. And I became did a lot of retreat work and and meditating for hours at a time and 
I believe in it. It's very important to be quiet, to learn to quiet your mind. And I still practice meditation. Yeah. Has that been beneficial uh, for your martial arts as well? Yes, it helps you focus. It helps you focus and see things. Um, you have to be observant. And so uh, I don't know if, if you've experienced this where you're in a, in, at a shopping mall and all of a sudden someone you know walks right by you. They don't even see you because they're all in their head. Yes. They're not observant. Part of what you need to be when you're a martial artist or a detective is observation and deduction. You need to know what's around you all the time. How can, Myra, how can people make the most out of synchronicity or meaningful coincidences? Well, developing our intuition is meant when I say that our perceptions of the everyday ordinary world can deepen. And I have that on the back of my back cover of my random death. And the, 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 the developing our intuition is what helps us recognize synchronistic moments. And what Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, um, termed this, coined this term synchronicity to express the notion of a simultaneous inner and outer occurrence of events that appear meaningfully related, but have no causal or apparent causal connection. This didn't cause that. And our intuitive capacity is crucial to discerning these coincidences. And if we're not in touch with our inner self, then we're cut off from the significance of what just occurred. And you, you, you might not pay attention to this inner rush of emotions that happen to you or an insight that lights up your imagination. And so synchronicity and, or meaningful coincidences can help us see, discern more in our everyday work world. This every, the perceptions can deepen of our ordinary world. And this is what I mean about observation and deductions and intuition comes into play. Um, for example, there's, the, the, you know, the more you pay attention, the more you develop the trust in your own intuitive capacities. And our intuition is the inner voice many wisdom traditions talk about. It can guide us when there is seemingly no way. Noticing and paying attention to these guise posts stirs the passions that will drive us to fulfill our desires. And a simple example is recognizing um, a simple example is recognizing when your favorite number appears. Everybody has that. And asking yourself, why is it appearing now? If there's an interconnection to an issue uh, that you're working on, this, this, this coincidence might bring you to further, in, further uh, insights. And so um, this aspect of something, this aspect of sensing, our intuitive sensing abilities, we all possess it. This is a gift that we all have. And I think as a society, we have to learn to talk about it and hone it and trust it. We're becoming now to understand what um, emotional intelligence can bring to the workplace. And we all have these capacities. And so I think the most people can make the most of synchronicity is when they learn to trust themselves. And, you know, you can get more in touch with it if you take up the intuitive uh, sciences, you know, palm reading, tarot reading, astrology, stuff that gets into the subjective self. Um, and, and so this is what I have to say about that. So as you said, everyone has this intuition, but not everyone is operating 
in it to the highest level it sounds correct i i can sort of give it if i if if you want i can go more and say um you know pay attention like if when some pay attention when something happens where you would normally say that only happened in a blue moon or that's just a coincidence don't treat it as just a flippant occurrence you know of course there's those you know serendipitous moments and happy chance meetings when they, we see someone we haven't seen for a long time but there's deeper meaningful coincidences and pay attention notice when it's happening take action tell them you know follow up on what what insights that you gather and if you if you understand things more visually write down the experience and start to recognize the patterns the symbols that are working on you the the images the numbers not just favorite numbers but maybe there's other occurrences and ask yourself what am i supposed to learn what am i supposed to be doing right now about this so i think there's a lot we can gain from paying attention and trusting our intuition yeah true being in the present moment definitely has its benefits and just like you said, just noticing and becoming aware and don't just cast things off as if it's nothing. Correct. And, and, the, and being present moment means your inner universe and your outer universe. Some people aren't in touch with their own feelings for maybe take them days to really articulate why they're feeling a certain way. And so it's important to really that's what meditation can help with getting in touch with your inner universe. And, and that's. The, the present moment is is it includes both of those aspects of, of, of phenomen phenomenology of being. Yes. And so how, you, how we learn. True. So you mentioned earlier that you know you're a lawyer and a tarot card tarot reader, and this did this come about because of the you know the mastery. Yes. Okay. Yeah. If, if it came through the divine directives yeah. and the, I was given the divine directive learned a metaphysics and that brought me to becoming a tarot reader and there was occurrences that happened to me of meeting people and that and, it, and I, I became enlightened the first time I held the tarot cards this particular deck it was actually the Crowley deck I don't everybody has their own deck and everybody's has a sub subjective calling to the deck that they were used I don't professed to believe in Crowley, but I love his deck. And I felt like I was holding jewels. Mm -hmm. And so I started learning about the tarot and studying the tarot, and then I became a reader. And then I was called to become a lawyer. And although I, when I do a, um, you know, I speak about, uh, so I use the whole brain. And I, in both professions, I was following this calling, uh, the divine directives. And I wanted to become a lawyer because I wanted to fight for justice. I mean, I was called to become a lawyer. I was literally called. And so, like, someone said it to me, this, have, have you ever thought of being a lawyer? And I said, never. He said, well, I can get, I think you're bright, Meyer, and I can, I'm on the board of admissions to one of the best law schools in Canada. I could probably get you in. I never thought of becoming a lawyer. But I was, give, prior to him at saying asked me that question, I was given a number of premonitions that day. And so I said, I'm going to be a lawyer. I was following this intuitive aspect. And the part of the lawyering that I wanted to profess was to fight for the downtrodden 
and you know, I'd read about Hitler and the Nazi regime, and I didn't want that to happen in the United States or Canada. And I didn't want, I saw the outrage over the racial injustice of the riots in Detroit. And I, well, I didn't believe in this, this, this sort of um, discrimination. And so I wanted to fight for all of that. And that's what I did as a lawyer. So your thing was to be able to fight for those who are less less than considered less than even though they're not but correct okay so i became a federal criminal appeals attorney uh after i was actually attacked and i I wanted to make sure that everybody that was convicted was done fairly and under the law according to the law and that they were doing the time that was just and um yeah so it's important to me that we're that we we, we treat people, you know, like their brother and sister. I believe in the golden rule. Treat people like you would like to be treated. Sure. So how did your family respond to you, you know, your calling and you are uh, just going, mastering these different things? You know, honestly, some of them didn't understand it until they read my book. Until they read the memoir and it put it all together, because they, they these all these in aspects, the martial artist, the bookbinder, the lawyer, uh, the terror seem strange and not connected. But when you read the memoir, you see where they're all connected. And so at first they didn't understand, but they were very supportive. My family has been very supportive of me, and I've been lucky. I've been fortunate. I, I think that's a, I feel blessed. Great. So being a tarot reader, what type of satisfaction has that given you uh, being being able to do that? Well, the intuitive counseling that comes with it, uh, helping people and sort of the immediacy of that moment and breaking through all the the nonsense and getting it's, it's very direct. And so as an intuitive counselor and giving people some guideposts, I had an interesting experience. Uh, I I was called to, there was an inmate at the jail in the city that I live in and she wanted a tarot reading and they allowed me in. And she sat on one side of a big glass um, partition and I sat in the other with my cards and they let me read for her. Uh, And I thought that was a great honor. Uh, She needed some guidance. And so it's the guidance that is um, the most fulfilling part of being a tarot reader. And helping people cut through all the nonsense. So it sounds like they're not, cutting through the nonsense means that there are not a whole lot of things that really matter in life in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I found as a tarot reader, I've, I've been doing it for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. And I've never met a dull person. Everybody has gifts, but a lot of people are blocked. Yeah. And so what I call the nonsense is the blockages. And this can come about for things that we say to ourselves or the beliefs or the, we don't know how to get out of these circumstances. And so, and, and the, the nonsense is the noise that are in our head about um, what other people expect from you uh, when you're not authentic about yourself. And so I believe in being, trying to be authentic. And I guess that comes from, being a twin, not even knowing if I was a self. And so I hold being authentic in high regard. Maybe other people don't. 
I, I don't. I frankly don't think Trump holds being authentic in high regard. You, you know, there's a lot of people that think lying is 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 a virtue. You know, it helps them. You know, progress in life and hold on to power. I don't. I don't. I don't think that's a good value to have. True. I definitely understand that. How would you define intuition? How would you define it? I think it's the small voice that is. It, it's. Intuition is a strong, small voice that I think comes from our divine self, our spiritual realm. It comes from a sense of knowledge, and that's a direct link to our spiritual capacities. It, it, and so intuition isn't about thinking things. It's about receiving. And that's what Kabbalah is. It's received knowledge, and it can guide you. And our intuition is the direct link to those um, uh, ways of knowing because sometimes you just know you don't know how you know or why you know you just know it's a revelation that's what the intu- that's that's the intuition what and, do you go ahead i'm sorry i'm sorry that's fine. and we all have these capacities we all have these gifts yeah it's good to you know hear that you know people could hear this and they know, even though if they're not operating in it right now as they should, it can be developed. It's like the, the diamond is has been in the earth all along, but we are wiping the dust off, so to speak, to get to it. So there's some treasures within each individual that they could just begin to wipe off and get a new perspective on it and utilize it. Correct. And it's like, it's like, you know, when you, when you meet someone and you kind of say, mm, they're not really, they're not, they're not, you feel uncomfortable. There's not a rightness about it. Trust that. Yes. Trust those feelings. That's the wiping off. That's the diamond in the rough. You trust, you're going to help develop your character when you trust that maybe that guy isn't right for me. I, I know he's really not right for me, but whatever, you know, trust yeah. that. Just stay away and stay away. <laughs> yes. Yes, you're right about that. So what do you believe is your most dominant gift? Have you what do you believe that is? My sense of em- my empathic abilities. I think it's very important in this day and age, especially this time of um self-promotion and talking about the self, to be empathic, to be a good listener, to be engaged. To feel what the other person's feeling, I think it's 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 a necessity right now to um, care about the other, no matter what color, no matter where they come from, no matter what they look like. It's it's important that we have empathic capacities, compassion. True, and yeah. do you do you have a website where people can purchase your book as well? Yes, it's it's myrandomdeath.com. One word, myrandomdeath.com. Okay. And do you uh, provide any services or do you, is there anything else besides your book? Well, I'm not, because I'm promoting, you know, I was writing, publishing and marketing my memoir. I'm really not taking on any more legal clients and I've cut back on my tarot reading services. Um, but I will do lectures and I will talk and do podcasts like this. And thank you for the opportunity, Maurice. 
You're welcome. Uh, so what valuable piece of information would you like to leave our audience with? What's your one to grow on? Make the most of your of the meaningful coincidences that come into the, your life. Pay attention to them. You know, the serendipitous moments, the happy chance. So he called me. I haven't heard from him when I was thinking about him. Those are fun. That's good stuff. It can make your heart feel good. But pay attention to those coincidences, the synchronistic moments that happen in your life. And, you know, follow those. Do some research. Investigate if you don't completely understand it. But try to move forward inch by inch. These are guideposts that will help you come into your authenticity. And take you out of victim consciousness. And learning to trust yourself. Thank you for listening to The New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, The New Mind Creator. This podcast has been sponsored by Abundant Sports and True Serum. Head over to www.mauriceflournoy.com to receive more motivation and insight to help create your new mind.